May be seated. Good morning, Lakeview Church. So good, so good. It is so good to be with you uh, this morning. So glad that you are here in this room. We have a group of people who are joining with us online, and we just want to take a moment just to welcome each and every one of you. Thanks for taking time, whether you're watching this live in the moment or watching it later on demand. We're so glad that you're taking time to do that. Let there be light. The Lord said, and there was light. So, uh, but we just want to welcome you. are so glad to hear. Those of you who are in the room, can we just say hello to those who are joining us online and just welcome them today? We are in the third week of a three-part series, which makes this the last week of this series uh, that we've been talking about generosity. And if you've been here, you know, but if you haven't, I want to take just a quick moment and remind you why we're talking about generosity. We say it a lot here at Lakeview Church. We say that we're an everyday church for everyday people, and we're striving to follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference every single day. And and the reason we're talking about generosity is because generosity is the bridge from following Jesus to making the difference that God created you to make. You cannot make an eternal difference in this world until you learn to live beyond yourself. And you can't learn to live beyond yourself until you learn to live generously because generosity is just that. It is living beyond ourselves, taking our time, our talents, and our treasure and using that to bless those around us to advance God's purposes in the world. And we just want every single person who is a part of our church to actually learn how to live generously because what we want for everybody in our church is for you to fulfill the purpose that God created you for. And God created you to make an eternal difference for him. So we take just a few weeks in November to talk about generosity. And we've been doing that over the last couple of weeks. And I wanna just quickly review what we've talked about so far. We started uh, at the beginning of the month by talking about five biblical principles that sit at the foundation of the generous life. We talked about the manager principle, that your stuff isn't yours, it belongs to God. And this is really rooted in the truth of scripture that God is the creator, the founder, and the owner of everything that exists. As the psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there is nothing that you have that God did not create, and there is nothing that you have that did not come from him, which means you are not the owner. Even if it's in your possession, you do not own it. God is the owner and you are the manager of that which God has entrusted to your care. The second principle that we talked about is the ROI principle. This is the return on investment principle that says God has invested in your life. He's entrusted things to your care. He's given you time. And we talked about last week that everybody's got about 4,000 weeks on this planet. I've got 16,000 or 1,605 left. And you can figure yours out as well. But we have a limited amount of time. How are we going to use it for God's purposes? Right? And we have talents, we have gifts and abilities and strengths that God has given to us. We didn't, we didn't create those skills. We didn't create those abilities. We didn't create those, those strengths. No, God gave them to us when he put us together in our mother's womb. 
And he's given us those things. How are we gonna use them for his purposes? And, and whatever resources, physical and financial, that come into our possession, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. He's invested those things in our life. And one day, we're gonna stand before him. And when we do, we're gonna give an account for what we've done with what he's entrusted to our care. He's expecting a return on investment. We talked about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where the steward who took what God had given him and just, and just buried it in the ground to protect it, that servant was identified as wicked and lazy. Because the master didn't just want back what he had given to him. He wanted the servant to do something with what had been entrusted to his care. So the manager principle, the ROI principle, we talked about the, the river principle, that God doesn't want your life to be a container. Your job in this world is not to just collect the blessings that God gives to you so you can keep them for yourself and hoard them and protect them. No, God wants you to become a channel of blessing so that as God blesses you, those blessings can flow through your life to those around you. You're, you're supposed to be a river of blessing, that God would bless you and you could become a blessing to others. We talked about the compass principle, that when God is true north in your life, you will be others-oriented. Why? Because God is others-oriented. Think about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, where Jesus says, uh, where, where it says of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself and became nothing. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to redeem humanity. You see, Jesus is a servant. He is others-oriented in the way that he carries himself. He is a servant, and if we want to become like Jesus, we must become servants. And so when we put God first in our life, what does he do? He takes us off of the throne of our lives, puts him in that place, and then helps us care about others like he does. And then the last thing we talked about in that first week is the generosity principle that you cannot outgive God. That as God blesses your life and you use those things to bless others, God pours out more blessings. And if you use those things to bless others, God will pour out more blessings. And it creates this cycle of generosity. A generous God gives gifts to his people and his people give those gifts to those around them and on and on the cycle goes and you can't outgive God. God will always keep giving you what you need to bless others with because that's what he wants for your life. That's what we talked about in the first week of the series. In the second week, we just simply asked the question, how do you turn those principles into practices? How do you actually practice generosity in your life? And we said, at the end of it all, what it boils down to at its very base level is that we have to have an intentionality to move toward generosity. We don't drift toward generosity in our lives. We won't stumble into it. It won't happen by accident. We have to intentionally pursue generosity. And why is that? Because everything around us says you should only live for yourself. You should only care about yourself. You should find what you need and then go after it. And when you get it, bring it into your life, hoard it, protect it, keep it safe. And whenever you can, get more for yourself. 
But in the Christian faith, we are not called to greed and selfishness. We are called to generosity. And you got to be intentional to move in that direction. So we talked about last week, you got to be intentional in your giving. You got to be intentional in your service. And you ought to be intentional in sharing your faith. You shouldn't hoard those things for yourself. You should give them away. Well, today I want to ask one final question in this series. And and the question that I want to ask today is, what what motivates this life of generosity? What will actually drive us so that we live generous lives for the rest of our days? What What will fuel the fire of our generosity? And to do that, I want to take you to a couple passages of scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at uh, some verses from chapter 8, and we're going to look at chapter 9. So 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is a letter that's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a leader of the church in the first century after Christ. And so Jesus comes, lives his life, dies on the cross, is buried, raised again. He ascends to heaven. And just a little bit after that, this guy named Saul finds Christ. He actually has a conversion experience and and he becomes known as Paul and and he begins to write letters as he goes around the world and in, in that time as a missionary and he's going and he's sharing the gospel and he's starting churches and then after the churches get started, he moves on to the next place. Then he writes letters back to encourage them, to teach them, in some cases to rebuke or correct them, to give them guidance. And most of our New Testament is written by Paul, and it's these letters that he wrote either to leaders or to churches. He wrote two letters to the church in the city of Corinth. That's why we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we're looking at the second letter today, and we're looking at chapter 8 and chapter 9. This is what it says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. 
Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. And then chapter nine, verse one. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send them an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. Paul's saying, don't make me look like a fool. That's basically what he's saying here. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Now remember, we're asking the question of this, these passages, what is the motivation for giving? And I think these passages, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, teach us something about what motivates and drives generosity in our lives. And I know that these passages are specifically focused on the money that is being collected to support believers in Jerusalem. But I believe that the principles of these two passages go beyond just giving of money because it's not just about a financial gift. It is about the heart that drives generosity. And generosity goes beyond just our money. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your talents. You can be generous with physical resources that people have given to you. It doesn't always have to be money, but we can be generous with our money as well. And so what is it that drives generosity in these passages? And I think that the primary motivation of generosity is love. The primary motivation of generosity is love. And we learn this not just from reflecting on our own lives, though we could learn it. 
right? If you love someone, you give to them, right? I mean, when, when I was trying to get my wife to be my wife, I was committed to giving. I mean, it was just like, let's go to, let's go. We used to go to Arby's. We didn't have a lot of money, but we used to go to Arby's. Back in the day when they had that little step down, for those of you who've lived here for a while, you know, some Arby's used to have like a little step down out front and it was like a kind of glassed in area and it was kind of away from the crowds. It was romantic. And we used to go to Arby's and I was not at all bashful about shelling out money to get her a milkshake. We used to share with two straws and then I learned a difference about me and my wife. My wife is not like me. I am a sipper. I can make a drink last for quite a while. My wife is a little more of a guzzler. And we would go to Arby's, we'd get one milkshake initially, and, and, and we'd get two straws. So romantic. And we'd put that milkshake in front of us. And, and I realized after a few times, I got like one sip. <laughs> and then it was just empty. And so then, because I loved her, and I also loved milkshakes, I became more generous. I decided to buy two milkshakes. One for her and one for me. Silly example, but here's the deal. When you love someone or something, you invest in it. This is why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we can learn this just from reflecting on our own lives, but we can also learn it perhaps more importantly, by looking at the supreme example of generosity, by looking at God himself. John three sixteen, most quoted verse in all of scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his one and only son. And why did he do that? Because he didn't want anyone in this world to perish. God did not give his son because we were wonderful, great people with everything put together and nothing wrong in our lives. No, God looked at us and we were sinful and we've been separated from God and we were going the wrong direction. And God said, I love you so much that even though you are on the wrong path and going the wrong direction, I'm going to give the most precious thing that I have. I'm going to give my only son. Why? Because he loved us. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. See, love is the primary motivation for generosity. And we see that in this passage of scripture. If you look at 2 Corinthians and you see uh, verse eight, this is what it says. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I'm not commanding you to give this offering. I just simply recognize that the gift you're gonna give is an indication. It's a reflection of your love. I just simply wanna know how much do you love 
And that's going to be reflected in your eagerness to give. Why? Because when you love, you give. When you love, there's generosity. It just naturally follows. So today, I'm actually not asking you to give more. I want you to do that, but I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to love more. You see, our generosity ought to be fueled, I think, by three kinds of love, three different loves, and I want to walk through them quickly in these next few minutes. I think our generosity ought to be motivated first and foremost by our love for God. Our love for God. Why do we give? We give because we love God. We see this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. This is what Paul says about the Macedonian Christians. It's fascinating if you really study this passage. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, and he says, guys, you, you motivated the Macedonian Christians to want to give. They heard of your generosity and they wanted to get in the generosity game. And now Paul is coming back to the church at Corinth to spur them on by using the Macedonians as an example. And this is what he says about them in verse five. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, the NIV says, first of all to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to us. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this group of Christians in Macedonia, the reason that they are giving, the reason they are eager to give is because they took their hearts and their lives and they just gave them to the Lord. And because they love the Lord so much, they are committed now to generosity, to giving. I think we ought to give first and foremost because we love God. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I started my Christian journey, I didn't understand this. In fact, I think this principle plays out not just in what we do with our money and how we give in that regard, but I think it plays out in just all of the Christian journey. And when we start as Christians, a lot of times we are not actually motivated by love in the earliest stages of our Christian journey. I mean, for a few days, there's love and there's enthusiasm and, and, and excitement. But after a while, we kind of have to slip over into like sheer willpower because the Christian life is not the life that we naturally want to live, right? Is that just me or, I mean, it, it's, it's contrary to the way we are set to live our lives. And so we get into this journey and we realize God wants to, us to do this and God wants us to do that. And as Christians, we're supposed to do this and we're not supposed to do that. And, and we're trying to sort all of this stuff out in the early stages of our journey. And I remember as an early Christian uh, thinking that these things that God wanted from me were not things I wanted to do. I didn't want to do them. I was like, that, that seems like fun. Why can't I have fun? Right? And, and that thing that God's asked me, that seems hard. Why, why would I want to do something hard? I should, it should be easy, right? And, and I remember having to like engage like self-discipline and, and self-determination and, and, and willpower just to kind of grit my teeth and do what God was asking me to do. Now, here's the thing. 
If you're living like that, on a good day, you can do okay. But when you get tired or weary or things are turning south for you and it's just not going the way you want it to go, it gets hard and it gets arduous. And when you run out of willpower, you run out of discipline, then you start to go the path you're not supposed to go. And then you feel bad and then you try to ramp ramp your spiritual life back up and and you just kind of go through this. And I felt this way about giving. When I first became a Christian, my dad was the Sunday school superintendent of our church, and he had a a fourth grade Sunday school class that he could not keep a teacher for. After I taught this class for a little while, I know why they couldn't keep a teacher for this particular fourth grade Sunday school class. And, And my dad, he put all of these wonderful little turns on his appeal to me to serve. This is going to be an opportunity for you to study God's word. And you're going to have an opportunity to invest in young lives and help those coming behind you. I was only about 13, 14 years old. And I, I said, sure, I'll teach a fourth grade Sunday school class. And I'll just be honest with you. I didn't want to. It would have been much easier to have stayed in the youth group class and hung out with my friends and, and, and had the experiences that they were having. But, but somehow I believe that if I had an opportunity and God was asking me to do this, that I had to use my time for God. Now, I'll be honest with you, there were lots of Sundays walking into that class in the upstairs of what our church called the Miracle Building, because they paid for it with a miracle offering on one Sunday. And uh, we called it the Miracle Building, and there was a little classroom up there, and I'd go up there and, and, and teach these fourth graders. I'm going to tell you right now, there were lots of times where I was gritting my teeth. I was given my time but I didn't like it and I didn't want to do it. And then I remember my parents teaching me as a kid that whatever money comes into your care, you're supposed to give a 10th of it to the Lord. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because then that leaves me with less money than I had before. And the goal is to have more money, right? I didn't understand why when $10 came in, I had to take one and give that to God because that only left me with nine. And 10 is more than nine. I want 10, not nine. And I would grit my teeth and give. Now, here's the thing. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you're still gritting your teeth, when you're being asked to give of your time and give of your talents and give of your treasure, you're doing it wrong. And this I learned over the course of my life that we are not called to be people who just obey God out of kind of willpower and self-discipline and determination that we are gonna do what God asks us to do. I think we start our journey there, but God does not want us to stay there. God does not want us to do what he asks us to do just out of a disciplined obedience. And some of you need to hear this today. 
God is not asking us to live all of our Christian journey from a place of disciplined obedience. He's asking us to live our lives from a place of love-driven desire. We are not called to grit our teeth and give of our time and grit our teeth and give of our talents and grit our teeth and give of our resources. No, we're called to give with a grin. Stop gritting your teeth and start grinning when you do these things. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to give with a cheerful heart. He wants us to give because we want to, not because we have to. I think this is why Jesus in John 14 says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Here's what I've learned in my Christian journey. If you let love lead the way, discipline comes easy. Because when you love something, you find the discipline for it. Period. And if you have a hard time disciplining yourself, you shouldn't try harder. You should learn to love more. I want to say that one more time because I think I'm preaching better than you are amening right now. Some of you literally think that you must try harder in your Christian faith. And what I want to tell you this morning is you don't need to try harder. You need to love more. Because when you love more, discipline comes easy. It just happens when you love something. And I want to encourage you not to just make it a goal to give more, though I want you to do that. And I want you to be intentional in in becoming more generous. I think it's required. I think it's required. But here's the deal. I want you to grow in generosity because you have first grown in your love for God, that you love him so much. You've given yourself first to the Lord that your generosity just follows. Because wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. It will follow, I promise. You gotta love God. Secondly, I think we ought to give because we love the church. Because we love the church. I love what it says in verse four. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. When was the last time You came to church begging to give. Like, man, I hope there's a place for me to serve today because I want to be a part of what's happening here. When was the last time you came to church thinking, I got these gifts, I got these abilities, where where can I use them? Because I want them to be used for the glory of God in this church body that I'm a part of. When was the last time that you said, how can I, how can I get more margin in my finances? Because I want more money to be able to contribute to that ministry initiative or to that effort so that we as a church can give more and see more happen for the kingdom of God. I think what we see in the Macedonian Christians is they were begging to give. Why? Because they didn't just love the Lord. They also loved the church. And listen, I think we ought to give to the church um, all the time. 
And, and I think we ought to give cheerfully to the church all the time. Like if we're followers of Jesus, it ought to just be a part of our lives. But here's the deal. When you see God working in and through a church body, the joy level goes way up when you give. I mean, you see your gifts going and you watch every dollar you give, every minute you give, every gift and talent you share, and you just watch God just translate that currency into changed lives. And it just increases the joy that you have and it makes you want to give more. And I'll just tell you right now, listen, I love giving to Lakeview Church. Every single year, we begin the year and we, we set a goal for how much we're going to give in our family. And we're just trying to up that number every year at this point in our lives. We're just saying, how can we give more this year? How can we, how can we cut some things? Who needs Netflix anyway? Right? How, how, can we, how can we cut things in our budget? How can we streamline? How can we be more frugal and more diligent in our monthly and weekly expenses so that we have more money so that when a need arises or an opportunity comes, we can give more into it because we believe in what's happening here. And listen, I'm telling you right now, it is easy for me to give to Lakeview Church right now. It is not hard at all. I look back on the last just few months of our church and the level of joy for giving has just gone way up because I see God at work almost everywhere I look in our church. Just this fall on Wednesday nights, we have had over 80 different kids come to our kids program on Wednesday night. April has said to me on more than one occasion, what do I do if they all come the same week? And I say, I don't have any clue, right? We've got these kids coming, and here's the best part. Just a couple of weeks ago, at the end of the time, Miss April said, how many of you in this room need to accept Jesus for the very first time in your life? And six kids raised their hand, and they stepped across the line of faith in our Wednesday night programming. And yes, we should give the Lord praise for that. God's at work. I watch our youth ministry, and, and this year we, we've made some changes to the way we do youth ministry. We moved from Sunday night to Wednesday night to align with our Wednesday at Lakeview initiative this fall, and, and we didn't know how that was going to go, but we moved to Wednesday night. We've added live worship, which is led by teens in our church. You saw one of them up here this morning, Maddie Fuquay, who's been doing an internship with us this year, and, and she helps lead worship. And we've got some other students that have been involved in helping lead worship. We've grown our adult sponsors, so we have more adults investing in our teens. And our youth group has grown to almost 40 kids this fall. Yeah, praise the Lord. God's at work. And just this fall, we've walked with five families who came and said, we want to dedicate our kids to the Lord in the context of the church. And, and we've had an opportunity to pray for seven kids on this platform just in the last couple of months, dedicating them to the Lord's purposes in their lives. God's at work. 
And just since the beginning of September, 31 people have stepped across the line of faith through the ministries of Lakeview Church. That includes the six kids on Wednesday night, a couple of people at the ladies simulcast, and then people who've been raising their hands on Sunday morning to say, for the first time in my life, I want to follow Jesus. And just last Sunday, we baptized nine of those people in this church service. And we said, we're celebrating the grace of God at work in the lives of people in our church. And there are so many other things I could point to. The ministry of our counseling center and how it's growing in this season. We've added more counselors and we're seeing more people than we were seeing a year ago. And God's working and moving and ministering in that. We have people now coming to us saying, could you put a counselor in our doctor's office? Could you put a counselor in this place in our community? Could you put a counselor at this church? Why? Because the need is great and we believe that you are providing a needed ministry for our community. We've seen families from Lakeview Christian School find their way into our church this fall, and we could, I could keep going. I got lists upon lists upon lists of the ways that God is working in our church. And so when it comes every, every month, when it comes the time for us to give, which by the way, uh, we just set to automatically come out of our bank as soon as we get paid. Because we want the Lord to be first. We want the Lord to be first. And it is a joy when I get the email letting me know that that money has left our bank account and it's being invested in this church. That fills my heart with joy because I know every dollar we give is getting translated into life change. We ought to give because we love the Lord, but we also ought to give because we love the church and we want to invest in what God is doing to make a difference in and through this body of believers. Third, and finally, we ought to give because we love the world. And this we take right from God himself. God loves the world. And the longer we walk with God and the more that we love God, the more we love the things that he loves. And when we look at what he loves, we know that he loves the world. He gave his only son to redeem and to restore the world. And this is why, right, we, we look at passages in like Acts chapter one, verse eight, and we, we see this call of God to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Right? Jerusalem is where the, the church started. It's where the Christians were, but, but they weren't just called to reach their place. They were called to reach the, the next area, Judea and Samaria, and then they were called to reach the ends of the earth. We are called to that same reality, and it's not a sequential list, like reach all of Marion first and then start reaching Grant County, and then reach all of Grant County, and then reach the next place. No, it's a simultaneous list. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. At all times, we're supposed to be involved in all of those areas, which is why we simply say, listen, we are here to reach this place, but to everywhere. It's why we support missionaries like Lisa to say, how can we get the gospel translated and into the lives of people? It's so exciting to hear about this, this evangelism that's going to be happening and this training that's going to resource people in different parts of the world to do what? To share the good news. It's why we give, because we want to see the world reached. At least there's one person that's with me. 
Listen, we give because we want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Listen, there is nothing else that matters. There is nothing else that matters. We have been given a mandate by God to reach the world that he so deeply loves. And we ought to love the world so much that we want to give and we want to be a part of seeing the gospel go from here to everywhere. That is our call. And so we collect offerings at this church every single week. And some of those offerings are for here. They support the ministry of this church. They make this place run and they fund the the staffing and, and, and the utilities and all the stuff that makes it happen here in this campus. But they also, that money also goes to support local partnerships and ministries around our community and ways that we invest in our community right here where we live. But at the very same time that we are collecting offerings to do that, some of those offerings are also going to support the broader work of what God is doing in Indiana. We're part of a network of about 110 churches called the Crossroads District, and we invest money in that. And our money goes to actually support the work that's being done in those places. Right, so, so you may or may not know this, but, but we have a couple times a year, we bring in churches from the Crossroads District and we provide training for them on how to help their church go to the next level of ministry. And we talk to them about spiritual intensity and how to create ministries of prayer. And we talk to them about how to develop evangelism strategies and how to build discipleship pathways. And we help them grow in their ministry initiatives. And that is funded by the Crossroads District. But we send money and time and talent into that. And we use our building to train those churches. We've got another 10 or 12 churches that will be here on February the, February the 11th. Their pastors will come and they will bring lay people with them and we will train them. Because it's not just about Marion and Grant County, it's about the broader region that we're a part of. And some of our money goes to support starting new churches in that area. So just in the last year, we've given money to help start a church in Westfield and to help start a church in Avon and to help start a church up in Roanoke because we believe that God has called us not just to reach here, but to reach there. And we support mission agencies and mission organizations. You heard from one of our missionaries, but that's just one. We have literally dozens of missionaries that we support and mission agencies that we invest in. Why? Because we want to see the gospel go from here to everywhere. And we give because God loves the world and we love what he loves. We ought to give because we love the Lord. We ought to give because we love the church and we ought to give because we love the world and we ought to give our money and our talents and our time. We ought to give everything that we can. But here's the thing today. I'm not asking you to give more time to the church today. And I'm not asking you to serve on the dream team. And I'm not asking you to pull out your wallet and give your last dollar to the church. I'm not asking you to give more. I hope that you will give more. I hope that your generous life will grow from this point till you enter glory. I hope you will become more and more generous the longer you live. But I'm not asking for that today. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm asking you to love more. 
I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm asking you to fall in love with God all over again and let your heart be captivated by who he is one more time because what what we love we give to who we love we will generously support him and his cause in this world and so this morning as we close this service we're going to give just a little bit of space for us as a congregation to worship the lord We've tried to pick some songs that will be familiar to every generation. And if they're not familiar, just hang on. You can catch on and sing with us. But we just want to give you some words and some space so you can just love the Lord this morning. And if you find the love that you have in your heart for God waning, I want to just invite you to ask him during this time to rekindle that love one more time. And if you are deeply in love with God today, I just want you to express that as we sing. So church, I want to invite you to stand. And I've asked the team to lead us in a couple of songs. And as they do, I just want us to give our hearts to him in worship. And let's fall in love with him one more time this morning.